Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, a place for healing and hope for couples impacted by betrayal resulting from infidelity and or sex addiction. Your hosts are Marnie Breaker and Dwayne Osterland, licensed marriage and family therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, and founders of respective treatment centers in Long Beach, Los Angeles, and San Diego, California. Marnie and Dwayne co-created Helping Couples Heal, a comprehensive program for couples recovering from betrayal trauma, including an in-person two-day workshop, an online aftercare program, and this podcast series is the first component of the program. Thank you for listening. Marnie and Dwayne are committed to helping you recover from the devastating impact of betrayal trauma and are honored to support you wherever you may be in your healing. If you've lost hope, you've come to the right place. Now, take a slow, deep breath. And let's begin with the Helping Couples Heal podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Helping Couples Heal. I'm excited to be here with my co-host, Marnie Breaker. Hello, everyone. And today we are going to take on a listener's question. Marnie, do you want to read that? Sure. So this listener has shared that she was betrayed by her partner throughout their entire marriage, and she has seen some signs of changing. And so she's decided to stay because she wants to work it out. However, there's still no felt sense of safety. There's no physical intimacy. In addition, she says specifically that she feels like she's gut punched every day. And she has not been able to talk to people over all these years. She pretends that everything's fine, but she's not fine inside. Again, she feels gutted every day and wants us to talk about how do you live in that place? I think this is a really good question because... So many partners and relationships get stuck here. They get stuck in that space of not moving forward, or they're in that space where healing is slow and it's taking time and it moves forward slowly. So it can feel like there's no progress and it can be really overwhelming. There's a lot of emotions there. There can be a lot of grief, loss, depression that comes around that. And living in that space is just really challenging and difficult. What came to my mind is there was a statement that was repeated several times in this person's message to us, which was that there's no sense of safety. And so I think that that's an important place to start because the truth is for anybody, whether you're dealing with betrayal or another relational issue, if there's no safety, then it is going to be difficult to live together, right? Safety, we always say this on this podcast and with our clients, You know, safety is the first thing that has to be restored in order for a relationship to move forward. And so with this person's question, you know, she had said that she's chosen to stay because she has seen some changes. But my question to her would be, well, what are the changes? Because often what I see with the partners that I work with is that the language around choosing to stay typically comes in once the partner is reporting that she or he is feeling more safe, right? So I would ask this person, well, what is your partner doing on a daily basis to help you feel safe? Or is the change that you're seeing a change around the acting out behavior? Maybe he's gotten or she's gotten sober from the actual acting out, but you're still seeing active integrity abuse or, you know, including lying or being deceitful or having rage episodes or shame attacks. So I'd start there. I would start by saying, well, I've chosen to stay But I'm also experiencing this feeling of not feeling safe. And so my guard is up all the time and I don't know how to be. And I guess I would go back and think about, well, 
maybe take a step back and before making a decision about whether or not you want to stay in this relationship or not, start to focus on how do you find safety with this person? How can your partner provide you with the safety that you need, right, in order to stay? Yeah. And when I think about safety, especially when we have betrayal trauma and the intensity around this trauma and we're trying to heal it, we're definitely wired for threat and we're wired to protect ourselves and our negative emotions have a lot of power over us. We're biased towards them. So they tend to get all of our attention and they tend to take all of our focus. So when I'm looking at safety, I'm seeing safety on a spectrum and it can help relationships to be able to look at it that way because it can help you see some of the positive things that may be happening in the relationship that get overshadowed by the overpowering negative emotions that we can feel when we're in trauma. So being able to see safety or trust even on that spectrum and being able to say, it's not either I trust all the way or I don't trust all the way, are there pieces of trust? Are there pieces of safety that I can hold on to to be able to see if it's moving in a positive direction? And what's also good about that too is when you begin to notice those things, those are things that you can do more of in the relationship to build safety, to build trust, to move out of that stuckness. Yeah, and, and every day when you're the person who's been betrayed, look for evidence right? Demonstrated evidence of these sort of safety building things from your partner, the one who's hurt you. If every single day you are not feeling that your partner is doing things, actively doing things, specific, actionable behaviors that are helping to create safety. Safety is not something that happens overnight. There's not a switch that we can flip and suddenly somebody feels safe, especially after betrayal. They can feel safer in moments. They can definitely feel trust being rebuilt with this ongoing, consistent um, demonstration of actions that are trustworthy actions, actions that are about repairing the relationship. But even with those behaviors, that doesn't necessarily mean a partner is going to feel safe all the way on the end of that spectrum, Dwayne, that you were talking about, right? Absolutely. But they could be on some somewhere on that spectrum of, okay, safety is, is something that we're, there's, we're on this trajectory. Safety is slowly coming back. I'm seeing little bits of evidence on a daily basis. Because this woman who sent us the question, she said, how do we live every day in this? And I would say that every day there has to be demonstration of actions that show that the partner can start to feel safe. And the other thing I wanted to say is there's this other really important component, which is in this sort of limbo state of making the decision to stay in a relationship after betrayal, but not feeling safe and not knowing what to do, in addition to looking at what the betrayer can do to help build safety, the betrayed partner also needs to look at what can he or she do for themselves to help them feel safe, right? And that's where them having a really great support system Like this person said, she never told anybody else except recently a therapist. And I'm thinking for this person, join a partner's group, right? With other women who are on the same path, the same journey. 
But also think about what are the things that make you happy and bring joy to your life. Do more of those things. Like for me, if I'm in pain, if I need a reprieve, right, from for myself and my own pain, I like to be in nature and I seek that out. I live in Southern California for a reason. I go to the beach. I need to be in the sunshine and look at the ocean. So find things that bring you a sense of comfort, a sense of peace, even finding things that bring you joy. Who do you feel like you want to spend time with? Who makes you laugh, right? Like how do you fill up your own tank? Yeah, taking care of your own mental health, your own self-care, bringing those positive experiences into your life, which then also brings them into your relationship. And when we're taking care of ourselves and we're doing that, we're going to be taking care of the relationship too, because we're going to have more resource to bring to the relationship around healing. One thing I was also thinking about as you were talking, and I I would say is it's important to know where we're going and what we need to look for to be able to develop the skills to get there. And I'm thinking of a secure functioning relationship. One example of a secure functioning relationship is transparency. Do we have transparency in the relationship? Are we working towards transparency? What does that look like? How do you know that's happening? How do you see it? And how can you practice it? Are we able to repair our misunderstandings and injuries quickly and effectively? And where are we stuck in there? So having some direction of where you're moving and what you're building helps you get out of that feeling of like, we're just stuck here. We're not moving anywhere. You have to have goals. You have to have mutual relationship goals that both parties work towards to be able to get out of that space. Yeah, that's Absolutely true. And going back to that person's question, you know, she sort of described her experience as being in no man's land. That was her experience of being like, this is a weird place. I've said I'm going to stay. I'm choosing to stay, but I feel gutted every day. There's no safety, all of that. I would want to ask this person, are you guys in couples therapy or are you working with a couple's coach, someone who specializes in betrayal trauma? Are you doing a daily or weekly couples recovery check-in? Are you doing small things together to try to build some kind of emotional intimacy, right? Like, what are you doing as a couple on a daily basis? Because if you're waiting for safety to happen, right, it's it's a process that both people have to participate in, right, right, on some level. And when I say that, I don't mean that the one who's been betrayed has to create safety for their partner. You know, typically that's not missing. And typically there is safety there. But when I mean participation, I'm referring to having enough interaction with the person who's betrayed you that you're giving them a chance to start to help rebuild safety. And so typically what we see is that without help, outside help and support, most couples are lost in that place of quote unquote, no man's land. It's really confusing with all that hurt and with all that trauma to be in a home with somebody and to not have the containment and the structure and the support of an objective party to help with that process. I really think that having a good support system and a really good specialist to help you as a couple, I think that that's really crucial. 
Yeah, absolutely. Trying to do this on your own, it's just so overwhelming. There's so many moving parts to it. It's complex. We're complex as human beings. And betrayal trauma impacts so many parts of who we are, how we operate in the world, how our nervous system works. So getting that support is just incredibly important to be able to to navigate this. Also, what I think can be helpful is not just looking at this through the lens of emotions and feelings, but looking at it through the lens of behaviors. What behaviors are we doing that get us where we want to be in this relationship? We can ask that of ourselves. What behaviors do I need to do in myself to be the best person, to be my best self? And then we can look at it from the relationship perspective. What behaviors does the relationship need to be doing to get us where we want to be and where we can feel safe and we can feel trust. So I think that can also be really helpful to reframe that question in that way as well. Well, what do you mean by what can the relationship be doing? The reason I'm asking that is because, for instance, with the question that we got from this listener, I'm assuming she might think, but I need to feel safe, right? It's not about... um, I can't create safety in our relationship. You have to create safety for me, right? You have to take these actions that are going to make me feel safe. So one important point that we talk about when we're saying that, what can the relationship do? When I look at that, I see that as the relationship is its own entity as well as the individuals in the relationship. But it's important to remember that to get to a team, the person who's done the betrayal really has to go first and really create that sense of safety as best they can to get to that feeling of a mutual relationship that we're working on together. But I think it's important to be able to frame some of these behaviors in our minds so we know where we're going and we know what we need to do to get there. What would it look like if we were a team? What would it look like if we were really in this together and we were in a relationship together? What would that be? And when we start to frame those things, we can start to manifest those things. We can know where we're going to go because we can begin to see them as not just a feeling, but a behavior, something we can do and we can take action on. So I think that is an important distinction to make because... I know we've talked about this in the past, Marnie, where how am I supposed to get on a team when I'm with a partner who's betrayed me? I don't feel safe enough to get on that team. So that is a reality. And I think it's very important to make that clear too. Yeah. It's like, why would I be on the same team as someone who was not on my team? Right. Right. That person left the team. We, we were a team. We were a unit, right? That's what we were. I had your back, you had my back, and then somehow you left the team and you left me and here I am on this team. And now in order to heal, I've got to bring you back. You've got to come back to me and be on the same team again. But there's some repair work and some other things that need to happen in order for that unit to come back together. Yeah, and I think the person that has done the betrayal has to earn the privilege of having that person come back to the team. They have to earn that through trustworthy actions and trustworthy behaviors and consistently over time. Otherwise, that's not going to happen. They have to go first. They have to be the ones that go first and, and do this. But what I think if you're really feeling stuck or the relationship you're feeling stuck and you do see some level of change in your partner who's maybe done the betrayal, then asking these kind of questions can start to generate 
different ways of thinking about the situation that can then lead to different possibilities of actions and behaviors that could help move the relationship in the direction that is better for both people involved. Yes, I agree. I want to share two final thoughts as we're starting to think about wrapping up here. One is there's not always an answer or a solution to every problem, at least in the moment. So in thinking about this listener's question, she's asking, how do I handle this in-between stage, this limbo stage, this no man's land? And sometimes sometimes it's just about learning to tolerate it because that's where you are, right? Like sometimes all of this stuff that we're talking about might be happening and going on and there's still going to be a feeling of being gut punched and there's still going to be a lot of pain, right? And I think that as a society, as a culture, we're always trying to run from pain. And in fact, that's what really creates addiction to begin with, right? Um, Addiction and compulsion often come out of trying to avoid pain, ways to try to self-soothe, just using, you know, maladaptive ways to do it. So learning how to sit in that pain recognizing, oh my God, this is so hard. I've chosen to stay in a relationship and I've been betrayed throughout our whole marriage. And now I'm here and every day it is hard and it is so painful and it's gut-wrenching. And that's just going to be how it feels. You know, when we when we experience loss, when we experience grief, when someone we love is no longer here, we can do things to help ourselves feel better. We can join support groups. We can talk about it. We can cry. Um, we can look at pictures and and you know, try to remember sweet moments, but that's all of that's not going to take away the pain that we still feel inside. The grief is a process, right? It doesn't just go away. So I just want to normalize on some level the experience of not necessarily always having to do something in order to get through it. Sometimes it's just going through it and then eventually getting to the other side. And then the last thing I wanted to share was that, again, with this particular a podcast listener who sent in this question, she said, right at the beginning, I've chosen to stay, but then went into, I don't feel safe, right? On a daily basis, my guard's up, all of that. And what I would say is, if you're making the decision to stay, but you feel gutted every day, if you feel that your guard's up all the time, if you feel that you have no sense of trust or safety, maybe it's about reevaluating your choice. And I'm not saying that you should decide instead of staying, you should decide to leave. But I, what I am saying is perhaps you need to do a therapeutic separation or, you know, just not make that decision, right? Maybe you're not at a place where you can comfortably say, I'm choosing to stay. Because I believe choosing to stay is typically something that someone feels that there's a level of confidence in the changes that we're seeing, in the repair, in the trust building, in the safety, you know, better communication, um, increased empathy and attunement, all of those things. So if I had a client who was saying, oh yeah, I've decided to stay, but all those things were not on board, I'd probably explore is this idea that you're going to stay, is that really what's in your best interest at this point? So just just some food for thought. Yeah, absolutely, Marnie. Those are hard questions to ask, but they definitely need to be talked about and stated and put out into the open because those are real questions that need to be answered. And one final thought that I have is that this listener talks about how she has been pretending every day to be happy. And what I really want to say to her is that, look, find support so that you don't have to be there in that. You don't have to pretend that. You're in pain, rightfully so. 
you're in hurt, you're in trauma, rightfully so. Yes, you know, sometimes we have to manage our trauma when we're working or if we have kids and that can be hard and we have to put on a strong face, but find a place where you don't have to pretend. Find a place where you can be yourself and be in your pain and you can have people validate that for you so you can heal, whether it's a therapist, a coach, a group, wherever, go get that support because it's so important to walk through all of this. Yeah, and finding safe others, you know, is what you're talking about, Dwayne. And that's so important, especially when somebody is not getting the safety that they need from their primary relationship, then it really is important to figure out where can I get some safety outside of this relationship and where can I fall apart? If 15 hours out of the day, you're keeping a brave face, you look like you're happy, you're holding it together, then you need to carve out a couple of hours a day or a couple of hours a week, whatever you can do to find a way to just fall apart and not have to pick yourself right back up. Give yourself the chance to openly and actively grieve and to connect with other people who are safe. Sometimes all of the stuff that we're talking about might feel to the person listening that, you know, these are all great ideas, but it doesn't take away the pain, right? Or it doesn't fix things. And, you know, the truth is we're not necessarily here to fix because fixing is I don't know. That's that even that word feels a little bit charged. You know, I think thinking about partners hearing that they'd say this is never going to be fixed because it's never going to go back to the way it was before. But these are ideas that can work over time. And what works for one couple is not going to work for another couple. So it's about taking this stuff in and figuring out for yourself what might work for me, what might work for us, what little changes might we be able to do that can put us onto you know, a path of healing that feels right for us, you know, but do want to just say we're, we're, we know that we're not going to fix everybody, but we really want to give you some support and some tools and some ideas that can really help you when you turn this podcast off and you go back home to your relationship. Yeah. I have a saying that is um, small hinges swing big doors. A lot of times this change can happen in very small ways. You don't have to have huge change all the time. Sometimes we do and we need that. But doing small things daily can have a huge, tremendous impact on your mental health and your life. Thanks for that. I think that that's a great note to leave on. So for all of you out there who are listening, we are sending you lots of healing vibes and we are as always, very grateful for showing up and and hearing us and for allowing us to be a part of your journey. Thank you all so much for listening. See you soon. Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, where your healing is the number one priority. If you'd like additional resources about betrayal trauma or to learn more about the workshop, please visit helpingcouplesheal.com. If you're finding the podcast helpful, please support Marnie and Duane in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast with someone you care about. Once again, thank you for listening. We're grateful for your trust and look forward to continuing to support you on your journey of healing.